Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Essence of Faith. This morning, I want to talk to you about the essence of faith, the essence of faith. Now, many of you here have heard faith preached up one side and down the other, and there's certainly no lack of excellent faith teaching out there and available if you want to go listen to it. But about five years ago, I put together a two-part series on the essence of faith in an attempt to make faith something that was simple to understand and simple to apply in your everyday life. Now, to be sure, the concept may be simple, and it may be simple to apply conceptually, but it is seldom as easy as it sounds. Even so, I believe that simplifying the concept of faith can go a long way toward learning to apply it in your everyday life. With that in mind, would you turn in your Bibles or in your devices to Hebrews 11 verse 1 Hebrews 11 verse 1 I'll be reading in the New King James Version many teachers and many in the body of Christ uh, believe this is the biblical definition of faith and I would agree with that so we're going to start with Hebrews 11 1 the writer of the Hebrews says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to read it to you in the Amplified Classic Version, and it brings out some of the nuances and some powerful truths. So let me read this to you. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, Being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Oh, that's so powerful. I got to read that again. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. Being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Amen. Speaking of the faith of Abraham, the Apostle Paul said this, Romans chapter 4, verse 17, King James Version to start off with. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written... I have made thee a father of many nations. This is God talking about Abraham. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth or makes alive the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Amen. I love that phrase. Call those things that be not as though they were. Amen. Let's read it in the New King James Version. It says it just a little bit different, but it's essentially the same. 
As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Amen. A little bit different way of saying it, but the same basic concept. So hear me now. In both of these scripture passages, the emphasis seems to be on things that do not yet exist. Things that are not yet revealed to the senses. Things that are unseen to the natural eye. Amen? And Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Romans 4.17, listen to me, refers to the fact that God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, before he had had a single child. So when God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he was calling those things that be not as though they were. He was saying, Abraham... You are the father of many nations. And think about this. Everywhere that Abraham went and introduced himself, and it was just him and Sarah, and he said, I am Abraham, what they heard was this. I am the father of many nations. Don't you know there was probably a few snickers along the way? He's married to a woman That's too old to have a baby. How can he say he's the father of many nations? Well, whether Abraham fully realized it yet or not, he was calling those things that be not as though they were. Amen. 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 So I submit to you what I believe to be a very simple statement concerning The essence of faith. The essence of faith is believing God's word. Believing God's promise. Even when you can't see any evidence. That those promises have been or will be fulfilled. That's so important I got to read it again. I got to hear myself say it. The essence of faith is believing God's word. Believing God's promises, even when you can't see any evidence that those promises have been or will be fulfilled. We could stop right there and say we had church and say we need to go home and apply that to our everyday life. But there's more. Faith believes the things that God says, independent of the circumstances, independent of how you feel. Independent of what you see, independent of what other people say or think. And it paints a picture or builds a scenario based entirely on the word of God alone. Unbelief, on the other hand, is the opposite of faith. Unbelief believes the things that the enemy says based on the circumstances, based on how you feel. Based on what you see. Based on what other people say or think. And it paints a picture or builds a scenario based on all those things. But people of faith. 
hear God's word, meditate on his promises, then look into the unseen realm and they say, I see that. I believe that. I receive that. Simply put, people of faith call those things that be not as though they were until they are. Now, talking about how you can express your faith, there's two major ways you can express your faith in God and in His Word. Whether He speaks to you through the Logos Word or He speaks to you by the Spirit. There are two major ways you can express your faith in what God has said to you. Number one, by your words. And number two, by your actions. Let me illustrate what I mean with two stories from the Bible. One Old Testament and one New Testament and a personal example from my own life. Let's begin with the story of David and Goliath. You probably never heard that story, but it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And since it's a fairly lengthy chapter, I'm going to fill in the details, the backdrop of where we're going to start in this passage so that we can save some time. As the story goes, the armies of Israel were facing the armies of the Philistines and were arrayed against one another with the valley of Elah between them. Goliath of Gath, the Philistine champion, that stood almost 10 feet tall, came out every day into the valley for 40 days and issued a challenge to the armies of Israel that went something like this. This is my paraphrase, but it's fairly close. There's no need for a massive battle and needless loss of life. Let's do this thing one-on-one. If your champion can fight and kill me, we will be your slaves. But if I fight and kill your champion, you will be our slaves. And then Goliath went on to slander the armies of Israel and blaspheme the God of Israel. Now, David was a shepherd boy. He had already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. So the anointing of God was upon him. You have to remember that when you read this story. He was told by his father Jesse to take some gifts and some food to his three older brothers who were in the army and to their captain and to see how things were going. When David got to the front lines, he just happened to overhear the challenge of Goliath, the threats and the blasphemy that were spewing out of his mouth. And David was so stirred and so outraged and so vocal about what he had heard that he ended up with an audience with King Saul. What is this I hear you're saying about this giant? So let's pick the story up there. 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 32. We'll read here through verse 37, and I'm going to be reading in the NIV. 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 32. David said to Saul, 
Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now that's easy to read, but can you imagine being a 16-year-old boy and chasing down a lion or chasing down a bear and rescuing lambs from the mouth of the lion and the bear? And really, if you read it, the context implies that it happened on more than one occasion. More than one lion and more than one bear. Glory to God. That's why I say you got to read this knowing that the anointing of God was on that young man. And he knew how to use his sling and a stone. And this is my conjecture, but I think it's informed conjecture. I think that's what he used to knock out the bear and knock out the lion, take the lamb out of the mouth, and then whatever other weapon he had, that's what he used to kill the lion and kill the bear. That's how confident he was in his ability with the sling and the stone. Whoo, man. Man, you got to be anointed to go up against a lion with a sling and a stone. Whoo. He goes on. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Glory, that's the first time he told Saul he was going to take care of this Philistine. He was going to kill him. Listen to the second time in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So he told Saul twice in two different ways he was going to kill Goliath. That's faith talking. David was so stirred by the Spirit of God, he knew he was anointed to go take on and kill that champion. He knew that's what God wanted him to do, and he knew if he declared it, it would come to pass. He called those things that be not as though they were. So what did Saul say to David? Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord will... The Lord be with you. You get the impression he wasn't really that confident, but the boy had made up his mind. All right, let's skip down to verse 40. 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. We're going to read through verse 51, but listen, this is a page turner. It really is. It's one of the most fantastic chapters in the whole Bible. So David goes down into the valley of Elah with no armor, with only a staff, a shepherd's crook, they call it, and a bag of stones and a sling. Verse 40, this is talking about David. Then he took his staff in his hand 
chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Imagine again approaching a 10-foot giant with a sling and a stone who's got a spear, the head of which weighs 25 pounds. A massive man with massive weapons in his hand. Now, I want to talk about why five smooth stones. You might have heard this before, but listen, I studied it out. This is not one of those Bible urban legends. This is reality. i tell you why. It wasn't because he had no confidence in his aim and he wanted five to see if he make sure one of them hit its target. No. If you study it out, Goliath had a father and three brothers together with Goliath, a family of five giants. He basically said, I got a stone in here for every one of them. One and only one for each one of the five. I got a stone for you. That is faith. That is confidence. That is amazing. Woo. Hallelujah. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. This is what Goliath said to David. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I mean, at least you could have given me a a battle-hardened, ugly, mean warrior. But you bring a little boy with a stick and a bag of stones? Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. I can't imagine how that must have felt. Surely there was at least the, the presence of the feeling of fear in David. But listen, Goliath was trying to paint a picture in the mind of David that it was no use. He was going to end up a carcass being fed to the birds and the animals. But I want you to listen what David did. He completely ignored the scenario that Goliath was trying to spin on him. And he continued the scenario that he had begun when he told Saul twice he was going to kill this giant. And he told the giant exactly what he was going to do to him. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world would know that there is a God in Israel. He said, not only am I going to kill you and take your head off your shoulders, but I'm taking on the whole Philistine army if I have to. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Remember that because we're going to talk about that. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know 
that is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. And He will give all of you into our hands. He graciously now includes the rest of the army of Israel in His declaration. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, listen to this. This is a mind blower. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He ran toward his giant. Because he knew what was going to happen. He had already called those things that be not as though they were. And it was just a matter of time before they became reality. Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Remember, he declared, I don't have to have a sword. I can kill you anyway. And he did exactly what he said. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. You know, part of what reason they ran was they thought, he's got a stone for me and I don't want it coming near me. I'm out of here. <laughs> How many times did David say that he was going to kill Goliath before he actually did? Well, if you go back and carefully read the passage the way that I have, I'll recap for you. David told King Saul twice that he's going to kill Goliath. Then he went out to face the giant in the valley of Elah. After Goliath saw that David was a young man, he scorned him and told him he was going to make him bird food. But David ignored the scenario painted by the words of Goliath because, as I already said, he had a scenario of his own. He had already started painting. Started with words of faith to King Saul, and then he responds to Goliath's words With this third declaration of faith. He tells Goliath, you're not feeding my body to the birds. I'm feeding your body to the birds. I'm going to take your head off your shoulder. And you're going to be the one that is bird food. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. The fourth time he spoke, David tells the rest of Goliath's army. That they would be next and the army of Israel would destroy them too. Then he ran toward Goliath and the enemy lines. Remember we said there's two ways that you can express your faith. The first way is with your words. And he certainly did that. But then he followed up with action and he ran toward his giant confident that he would slay him with the anointing of God on his side. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were until they are. Amen. And that's exactly what David did. He believed God would deliver Goliath into his hands. 
And that's exactly what happened. He backed up his belief with his words and then with his actions. He even, stay with me now, he even made a declaration of faith that is still coming to pass today in this day and age. He said the whole earth would know that there was a God who fights for Israel. And 3,000 years later, there's not a corner of the globe anywhere you can go where you can't find somebody that's heard the story of David and Goliath. It is a worldwide cliche for the underdog overcoming impossible odds, isn't it? So David's word is still coming to pass. Who do you know that hasn't heard of David and Goliath? They got to be living under a rock somewhere. Amen. All right. This next example is about the demon possessed boy that Jesus and his disciples encountered after he left the transfiguration. I believe he had Peter, James and John with him on the Mount of Configuration. Then he came down and the rest of the disciples had tried to cast a demon out of this boy and could not. So let's pick it up at Matthew 17, verse 14, and let's read this story. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, an epileptic, and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, first of all, we've talked about this before. Let's be clear about one thing. There is no such thing as a prayer and fasting category of demon. Prayer and fasting simply help you reduce the level of unbelief that's in your heart. Notice that Jesus told the disciples that it was their unbelief that wasn't the problem. It wasn't their faith. It wasn't the amount of faith that was the reason for their failure. They didn't need more faith. They needed less unbelief. If your faith is right here. If you're listening by podcast, I'm using my hands. And your unbelief is up here above the faith. Rather than try to lift your faith above the unbelief, Jesus is saying, you got the faith. Dial down the unbelief so that it's under your faith. And your faith will be purified and far more effective. Everybody see that? It wasn't the amount of faith that was the problem. It was the purity of the faith that was the problem. They didn't need more faith. They needed less unbelief. And listen, 
this is what I want you to see. And Jesus was quick to point out that their words were important in this process. He said, if you have faith, you will say, just like David did. If you have faith, you will say. Now, regardless of whether you believe in God for something or you believe in God to reach a goal or to achieve something that looks impossible, the principle is the same. You call those things that be not as though they were. Amen? You use your faith and you express your faith in two primary ways. You use your words to express your faith and you use your actions to express your faith. Now, sometimes you'll get a word from the Lord and the only action of faith required is to stand. This is what I believe. This is what I'm standing on. Sometimes this is what I believe. Now, this is the corresponding action of faith that I'm going to do to show that I believe. It depends on the situation. Everybody see that? Amen. Call those things that be not as though they were until they are. You might feel silly saying something that looks impossible to other people. But if you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, it will come to pass. If it's a word from the Lord. Now, listen, this won't work for your wishes and desires apart from the word of God. Lord, I believe I received 1,000 oil wells in Oklahoma in the name of Jesus. Did God promise you 1,000 oil wells in Oklahoma? Do you have the company and the resources and the manpower to handle a thousand oil wells in Oklahoma? That's foolishness. You got to have a word from the Lord, whether it's a logos word or he spoke to you in a dream or a vision or by the spirit. And, you know, the Lord said, this is coming to you. This belongs to you. I have decreed this for you. You can stand on that. You can you can repeat it with your mouth and you can walk it out by faith. You know, just a little side note about dreams and visions. If the Lord gives you something in a dream or a vision and you know in your spirit it came from him, be like Mary. When you have a dream like that, say, Lord, be it unto me according to your word, according to the vision that you gave me. You know, there's a place in the Bible where it says the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So a vision is a word of God in a different form. Instead of hearing the word, you see the word. Amen. Regardless of the way you receive this word, put your faith in the word that the Lord sends your way and walk it out by faith with your actions. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. A personal story. And I really debated whether I should share this or not, but the Lord said, just go ahead and share it. Just come on. Just just share it. Let people know you're real. I don't want people to think I'm bragging or anything, you know. Uh, but back in the day, back in the 90s, I was flying the A-10 Thunderbolt for the Air Force Reserve. Now, I had left Marine active duty so that I could do more ministry and get into the ministry more of a full-time basis. But I was flying with the Air Force Reserve uh, in the A-10 Thunderbolt. And I'm telling you right now, I've flown a lot of different airplanes, but the A-10 is the most fun aircraft I've ever flown in my life. I thank God for the opportunity to fly the A-10 for almost five years. So when I came to the A-10, I came from the Marine helicopter community. 
The only fixed-wing aircraft I had ever flown was trainers. I was instructor for three years in the Naval Training Command with the Navy down in Corpus Christi. So I went through my fighter training, and then I went through my A-10 training, and I came into the squadron, and all of the squadron had very low expectations for me because I was a helicopter pilot. And they were fighter pilots. And so we had this semi-annual compilation of gunnery scores, and it was called Top Gun. Now, don't be thinking Tom Cruise and Tomcats and air-to-air because the F-14 in that movie, that was primarily air-to-air combat. The A-10 was an air-to-ground, close air support fighter. Okay, So our bread and butter was dropping bombs and firing bullets and missiles Okay, on the bad guys on the ground. So our Top Gun program was built around gunnery scores. How well you dropped bombs, how well you fired that 30-millimeter gallon gun. All right, so we had Top Gun standings that were posted in the ready room of the squadron where everybody could see every six months. And so my first six months in the squadron, there were 50 active flyers in that squadron, and my Top Gun ranking was 49. Needless to say, I was not really knocking it out of the park. So I went to the Lord, and I said, what do I do? I, I, these guys are like, you know, riding me because I'm an ex-helicopter pilot, like I can't make it, like I can't do it. And the Lord said, what do you see by faith? And I got it. I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm a top gun for you to give you all the glory. And so I developed this, this mantra that I would say over myself every time I flew the jet. Every time we would taxi out on a way to takeoff, I'd be saying this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. Now listen, the canopy's open. I've got my mask to the side, but the jet engine's so loud, nobody can hear it. I'm saying it out loud as I taxi the jet down the taxiway. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. He makes me better, quicker, stronger, smarter, faster. He makes me an A-10 top gun for Jesus. And so I did this every time I flew. Every time we did gunnery, I said that over myself. I saw myself in the top 10 rankings of top gun for the squadron. So this went on for another full six months. And I'm here to tell you that my scores began to go up, that my skills began to sharpen, and I developed an almost innate way of dropping bombs and firing these bullets. In fact, when some of the other pilots examined my gun camera film, they're like, how are you bullseyeing the target? Your wire's off, your airspeed's off, several key factors are not what they need to be, and yet you're slamming the bullseye. I knew why. God was with me. I was calling those things that be not as though they were. And they were becoming reality. So the next half, the next six months, the standings came out. And I think I was number eight. I was solidly in the top ten. 
And for the next four years in that squadron, I never dropped out of the top ten. Most of the time, above in the top five. And individual categories, several times I was number one. To God be all the glory. And just a real quick testimony to let you know, this stuff works in your everyday life. My entire tenure in that squadron, I was known as Sure Shot Scott. Because I dropped bombs and shot that Gatling gun with such accuracy. Like I said, to God be all the glory. Remember, learn to call those things that be not as though they were until they are. All right. Praise the Lord. So let me wrap this up by saying this. Let's be people of faith here at Faith Life Fellowship or wherever you go to church. Let's ignore what the devil says. And make some faith declarations of our own. Let's call those things that be not as though they were until they are. Concerning this building project we're in the middle of. Concerning our health. Concerning our finances. Concerning our goals as individuals and as a church. Let's call those things that be not as though they were until they are. Let's apply biblical faith to every area of our lives. Listen, find a promise in God's word that addresses your need or your situation or the needs of others. Hear me out. Start declaring it over yourself, over your family, over your church, over your city, over your state, over your nation, especially for such a time as this. And call those things that be not as though they were until they are. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Essence of Faith. If you are blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us, and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.